0: Good I morning. Good morning. say it's not a good morning. Yes, no. How y'all morning going today? Y'all woke up. Y'all alive. Y'all breathing. It's a good morning. Amen. Um, as you guys know, I um, I spent some time um this weekend dealing with uh, just the. Um, and um, all of that. And so, and so um, you all still hear me? Yes. Yeah. That's chat. All right, there we go. And so one of the things that you just begin to realize and begin to appreciate uh, when, you, when you deal with uh, the unfortunate events of loss and death and funerals is you just actually begin to appreciate just how good of a morning that a morning is and that every day that you actually get to open up your eyes is a day that you should be glad and i know sometimes everything isn't going the way we want it to go i know sometimes we stressed out i know sometimes life ain't, ain't play out the way we wanted it to play out however we're still alive we still have breath and there's so many people who wish that they could say that or they wish that they could see uh, a loved one again that can't, and so I'm going to ask one more time, or say one more time, "Good morning." And what I'm hoping to hear back this time is actually a belief that it is indeed a good morning. So I want to say it, and y'all follow me. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We go. I think y'all just up to too. Look, praise God. Hey, Amen. Amen. So, hey, my name is Leonard Tanks. Uh, I get the opportunity of pastor in this amazing uh, new ministry that we're birthing here in Ward 7. And we have been going through... In this audio, he said something that was actually interesting. Uh, She was asking him about, um, and and, and the moment of the scene was like, you know, very emotional, because it was like, right after they closed the casket, um, they, they start to play this audio, and she's asking him about the fact that he's gonna die, and she's asking him, you know, like, how do you feel, are you sad, and he's like, no. He was like, I lived a good life. He said, I lived a a really good life. He said, and now I get to go home and be with my Lord and personal Savior of Jesus Christ. And when I heard that, it was so encouraging and it was so refreshing. Obviously, in a moment of grief and a moment of sadness, but to hear that as a pastor, to hear that as a nephew, that my uncle was able to carry his life out in a way that on his deathbed he was certain of where he was going to go, and I shared with our family in that moment that everybody's not as peaceful in those moments. Everybody doesn't have that level of peace um, in their moment of transition. Because this wasn't like like he knew. It was he was transitioning. He knew what was going on. did ain't tell us, but he knew <laughs> what was going on. And as. As I was listening to that, I was thinking about today's message as we continue in our identity series, and and the thing that I wanted to focus on today was the whole idea of just being confident, and what I mean confident is I'm talking about being confident in says about us, no matter what language they use to speak about us, no matter who doesn't validate us, no matter who doesn't see our worth, no matter who doesn't see our significance or our value, we can still have confidence in who we are and not enter into this identity crisis because we know who God, what God says about us and who we belong to. Right. And that's going to be kind of the focus of what I'm going to talk about today and if you see me hitting my phone I'm actually clicking this timer now let me explain something to you guys. I know last week was different for y'all. Alright? I know y'all had a guest speaker. I was out. I know he preached 25 minutes. Don't worry about it. don't start looking at me at 25 minutes. Don't start looking at your you know once you hit your 25 minutes don't worry. You got about 20 more. Alright? I'm glad y'all got y'all a gift from him last week, but now we back to the regular schedule program. Don't start acting brand new on me today. And I know y'all gonna stay for the whole thing because it's food afterwards. And when y'all start smelling that, y'all so gonna be like, yeah. But y'all actually made Russian Congress. It made it. Oh, no, Hurry up. No. She said go? Okay. My wife doesn't need to go. So I'm hitting my timer. But listen, as you guys know, we've been in this, in this identity series, right? And we've been focusing on this whole idea that when we talk about identity, Essentially, it is the question, who am I? Right, when we talk about identity, we're talking about the the question, who am I? Okay? What? Oh, and when we talk about who am I, most times we answer that question with another question. And the question that we answer who am I with is the question, well, who do you see? Who do they say I am? How do others see me? And so we answer the question of who am I by asking How do you see me? Who do you say I am? And I've been explaining that, that is very problematic for us. And that is very problematic for us because when you're seeking validation from the world who doesn't even know who they are, If your value, your worth, and your significance is attached to what they say about you, then you will always find yourself in this what I call an identity crisis when they don't value you, when they don't see your work, when they don't see your significance because you're not conforming to whatever it is that they deem to be acceptable. And so I said the thing that we need to actually do when we talk about identity is it's not asking the question uh, who does you see me at or what do they say I am but it's actually answering the question how does God see me or right. who does God say I am right. that is the identity question re-question it is who does God say that I am and how does God see me and that's what we're going to be talking about that's what we have been talking about and the reality is, my personal conviction, my personal position, is that until we get to a place of being able to re that question, we will always struggle with value, worth, and significance. Because anytime your identity is connected to the world, it will create a struggle. Yes, right? Sir. Why? Yes, sir. Because things always change. Right? Consider gentrification, right? We down here in War 7, we know what they doing down here. Things is changing, but pay attention to this. If you remember... For years, this community has been redlined, this community has been deemed as a place that has no value, that has no significance. And so, no, nobody wanted to bring businesses down here, no corporations wanted to put their business here, nobody wanted to build these nice beautiful houses that they starting to build down on Shasta because they deemed this community as not having the worth and the value of some of our outer suburbs communities, right? But then all of a sudden, somebody decided to, I realized, that there's really value down here. So what begins to happen? Well, gentrification begins to happen. Things begin to change. Now businesses, corporations, families, uh, et cetera, et cetera, want to start moving down into the community. So at one point, they said it didn't have value. And now they're trying to express and push that it does have value, because the world always changes. Now, let me also say this as a side note. War 7 has always had value. They didn't come down here and they're not giving value to this community. They're actually profiting on the value that already existed in this community. And here's something that I want to say, side note, why that's really important. Because too often when we talk about this identity, we talk about worth, we talk about value, we talk about significance, we also allow others to give it to us. We wait till somebody else validates us. We wait till somebody else can see our significance. We wait till somebody else can see our value. And then we start to see our own value. But the problem with that is if your value is attached to anything other than God, then when they change, you start to struggle with who you are.
1: Right.
0: Oh, you don't think I'm valuable no more. Well my value and, and, and my married people, we 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 do this a lot. And it's so it makes for amazing and beautiful vows. Yes, nice little postcards. Nice, you might you know get you a little, you know, loving on that night if you use these type of quotes. <laughs> but the reality is, if we be, it's a lot. You know, you say things like you give me meaning and purpose. Well, I hope they don't.
1: Right.
0: And I don't even want, if my wife, I don't even want my wife to say I give her meaning and purpose I don't want to carry that. Burden. I don't want to carry that load because if I'm in my flesh one day, then your meaning and purpose may diminish and I don't want you to ever attach who you are to my flesh and my ability to see you how God sees you but it makes for cute vows and cute postcards and cute little messages when you're trying to woo your wife throughout the day however, it's a lie and if you believe it, I'm sorry but it's still a lie, right my mean, my meaning and my purpose is not given by anybody other than, say with me God. And until we begin to understand that, we're going to always begin to struggle with this question of identity. And I just thought what they were doing down here was a really good picture of it because so many people are seeing value in the community now, but it always had value.
1: Right.
0: It always had value. That's so why I'm always telling people me and my wife bought a house on 82nd, we had no clue what they were doing down here. We didn't come down here. We were like, I think it's going to be a good neighborhood. <laughs> Let's go down there. When we came down here, the God said, listen, go, uh, plant a church down on Ward 7 and, and don't think you're going to drive from Garfield to it. Make sure you sell your house and get down there and live amongst the people that I'm calling you to reach with the gospel. And so we're like, all right, bet. We had no clue what they were doing down here. So we wasn't waiting for value to be placed in the community before we wanted to move our family down here. We moved our family down here very well of all of the things that was going on. We wrestled through. All right, what school do we have to go to? Ooh, okay. That school's at a D. Like we had to wrestle through all of this. Even we like, well, wait. we're gonna have to do it. It is what it is, right? And, and 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 I just think that we have to always make that distinction and always be very clear about that. That your identity, your worth, your value, your significance is not attached to anybody other than God. And I explained two messages that go, why? If you haven't been here, need you just go back to YouTube, Re-City Church Cleveland, and you can watch the other three messages in his identities here. I explain in Message 2 and Message 3 why your worth value and significance is given to you by no other person than God, and it doesn't matter if nobody else sees it. Alright? So here's what I want to look at today. We're going to turn some pages in 2 Corinthians. Because Paul makes a very interesting statement about identity. And he makes this very confident statement about identity. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. He says, listen, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. And, and, And maybe you don't really understand what Paul is actually saying there, but it's actually pretty dope what he's saying there. What Paul is actually saying there when you read it, is he's saying, I know who I am and hopefully you'll figure it out too. What I am is plain to God and I hope it will become plain to you also. In other words God sees me And I hope you come to see me also. And that's a level of confidence that we all must begin to embrace as we wrestle through the issues of value, worth, and significance in this culture. We have to get to this place of having the confidence that no matter what people are saying about us, no matter what what people don't validate in our lives, that we can look at them and we can still stand with the confidence and say, listen, what I am is plain to God. I hope you see it one day. But you not seeing it doesn't nullify who I actually am. Because what I am is plain to God. But that takes confidence. Like you can't fake your way into those type of words. You gotta actually believe it. You gotta actually know it. You gotta actually internalize it. And that's why in this identity series, I have not yet, and I'll wrestle. I'll wrestle with this message And if I was gonna really just talk about verse 20 and start because we connected that being made in the image and likeness of God last week means that we're God's world representation, and so I was gonna then connect back into that and start dealing with that we're God's ambassadors and we're going to start talking about how we're supposed to live our life according to the identity of Christ. That's coming next week. But I wanted to hit one more time on this whole idea of El Rory, God sees me, right? I wanted to hit one more time on that because I still think that we, that it is so essential and so beneficial for us to get to a place that we really, really understand that when nobody else sees us, God sees us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that's what I want to focus on. How do we get that confidence? Look at the confidence that Paul had. Knowing who it was rooted in. And that's another thing that is essentially important. Because everybody's confident. But what is your confidence rooted in? We're going to see in a little bit that all of these super apostles and all of these false apostles and all of these people that were coming against Paul and his identity and his purpose and his value, their whole identity was rooted in, their whole confidence rather, was rooted in flesh. They were boasting in themselves. Right? But the question is, but where is your confidence lying? Because if your confidence is lying in yourself, then that's problematic to begin with. And so Paul is not saying, I'm confident in who I am because I'm great. I'm confident in who I am because I did that thing. Right? Matter of fact, Paul actually says, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Paul says I'm nothing and everything that I am is given by Christ and so Paul is like my confidence is not in me boasting in my arrogance, boasting in my ability and my accomplishments and a lot of times we do that and the world will tell you that you need to do that. Dig yourself up sis. And that's cool. I'm not locking You You should be able to look yourself in the mirror and have some self-confidence about who you are. But if that confidence is rooted in just your flesh and your works, then it's problematic. You should be looking yourself in the mirror, having confidence in who you are and the works that you accomplish, because it is God who told you who you are, and it is God who's working those works through you. So I'm confident in who I am as a pastor, not because I'm this studied person, not because I think I, I'm the best preacher. Sure, there's a whole bunch of people that's going to stop me out of Cleveland when it comes to preaching and hooping and hollering and all of that. Great. I don't care. I come up here and I do the same thing every week. Why? Because I know that it's God working through me, and so I can be confident in what I do and my abilities to not be confident in that is to tell God that he's not good enough. But that's a whole nother message. But his confidence was in God. So here's your point. Having confidence in who you are stems from knowing how God sees you. Having confidence in who you are stems from knowing how God sees you. Right? Because confidence is going to always come from somewhere. Guess what else? It's gonna come from somewhere. Insecurities. Alright? Our identity insecurities, they're a byproduct of not knowing who we are. Right. They're a byproduct of being of seeking validation from people who can't really see you in the first place.
1: Come on.
0: And I talked about that in message one. We got our own stuff. We got blurred vision. We got we got jacked up perception to begin with. So we don't see right anyway. Right? right? We yeah. jacked up. We already know this. Look at the culture. Look at the world. Look at the things that's acceptable and the things that's not acceptable. You, if you really want them to tell you who you are, they don't know. They confuse. They change every other week. Come on. Amen. Many people don't know who they are because they spend more time listening to the world than listening to God.
1: Right. And this
0: is a very dangerous thing, and I'm guilty of this. I'm against this now. As a parent, you grow and you learn. I'm against this now, but it's too late. I did it. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I gave my child. Children. (laughs) Well, I was going to go with one child, but I was like, no, I gave two of them. But I gave my children, I gave social media access way too soon. Just one. Okay, my wife is adamant. I'm not letting her She's like, like, no, you ain't 13. (laughs) But we gave social media access way too early. And that is so dangerous because before I taught my child how to appreciate who she was, she already started to. Desire to know to be appreciated by what other people said about her because that's what social media does Social media just tells you what you should be and look like to be accepted And so you never ever get to sit with who you actually are You never learn to appreciate who you are before you start looking to other people to validate you and that becomes a huge problem i met that I made that mistake if you have kids don't make that mistake Right teach them to know who they are Teach them to appreciate who they are Help them look in the mirror and see their beauty and their worth apart from some Instagram model who got 17 filters on. Them. Come on. But this is a reality that we all need to embrace. That while we hope and desire, and it feels good to be seen by others, regardless if they affirm your worth, value, and significance, our identity should never be shaken because it's not rooted in who the world says I am, but in who God says I am. Right. Am I making sense to y'all? Yes, sir. I'm gonna read. you're gonna hear that. It's gonna be like a broken record. Right? And this is why we got to get to know who God says I am. This is why I've been focusing on the intrinsic human value. This is why I've been focusing on who you are. Because until we learn to embrace that, we will always be shaken by other people's destructive deceptions of you. And they're destructive. Because they got opinions of you, and they share them, and they post them, and you see them. And they start to tear you down, they start to make you doubt who you are. Right, And this is also why I keep telling us we got to unplug from the matrix. Learn to appreciate who you are before you yearn for the appreciation of others.
1: That's good. Learn
0: to appreciate who you are before you yearn for the appreciation of others. We talked about that in message three. Because what happens when you yearn for the appreciation of others before you learn to appreciate who you are? Behavior modification happens. Because you will always adjust your behavior for what you desire. So, if you desire to be acknowledged by that group of people, you would do the things that would get you acknowledged by that group of people. But when you learn to appreciate who you are before you yearn to appreciate the, uh, uh yearn, uh uh, 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 for the appreciation of others, you would still be who you are even if that group don't want to accept you. And you would tell that group, you can either take me as I am or don't take me. Either way, I'm good. That's
1: right. That's right.
0: That's good. And so, Paul embraces his identity and his purpose and he walked with this level of confidence regardless of all this drama that was unfolding in the Corinthian church and I know if you're not familiar with the history people don't really realize this a lot but Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church was a very toxic and abusive relationship and if you don't actually read the context correct you think the abuse was by Paul and because we live in the culture we're in everybody just wants to talk about leadership abuse but if you read the context of Corinthians correct the abuse was actually by the church it was a very toxic relationship between Paul and the church because the church was attacking Paul. The church was was raising up leaders for themselves because they didn't want Paul to be their leader and they and they questioned his identity. They slandered his name because he didn't because he was raising money for Jerusalem church. They were saying, acting like he was doing something wrong, like he was mismanaging money. They started to accuse Paul of a ton of stuff. And a lot of people don't know that. But when you start to read 2 Corinthians as a whole, you start to see that this is just an entire letter of defense. Now, it's also a very choppy letter and very confusing letter to read. Why? Because Paul jumps all over the place. He starts talking about some stuff in chapter 1. He takes a whole break, inserts, you know, like I be doing like side note. He has these whole side note conversation. Then he comes back and be like, hey, by the way, those people ain't really apostles. And they know, and, he, and so you read this, you're like, and so uh, the, the scholars actually think it's like four letters bunched together because they be like, he is all over the place. He's not all over the place. You know what he is? Emotional. You know how it is. You may not write it down, but you know how it is, right? You get into it with your spouse, and, y'all, and you're like, now y'all got to talk it up, and now you're trying to explain it, but you're all over the place. You don't know what you say, saying, and, and they don't know what you're saying. <laughs> and you be sitting there, because you're processing. You jacked up. Your thoughts all over the place. You start with this, and you're like, yeah, but then, but then when this had happened five years ago, and then this and this, and then you jump back into the day, and then you're sitting there like, what? What are we talking about? <laughs> what, what did I actually do? <laughs>
1: I'm
0: confused. Not being a jerk. My wife deals with that with me, right? And I don't deal with that with her. I'm a very out process. I process out loud, and I jump. Y'all, listen. Y'all hear y'all? I preach that one. Every night. All right. Okay, we back. Okay, I got you. Yup, yup. Right. But Paul's letter is all over the place because he's emotional. He's not. He's stable, but he's emotional, and he's breaking down all of the pain and all of the trauma that he's had to deal with with these Corinthian church for seven years. Okay. How did it all start? Well, you know, what's my phrase? Hashtag substances for Sundays, too, right? All right, so I'm going to give you all a little bit of substance. We're going to teach just this in a second. Most people don't realize that Paul's problems started when he addressed sexual immorality in the church. The moment he began to address sexual and morality in the church with a specific household, the Corinthian church started to come against him. Right. Now, we miss that because we do read that he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 5. However, here's something that's very interesting. 1 Corinthians is not really 1 Corinthians. It's really 2 Corinthians. What do I mean by that? Meaning 1 Corinthians was not the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. It's just the first letter we got. We don't have the other one yet. But we know that it was another one. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says what? I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. And so Paul in this letter is addressing something he wrote to them in another letter, which means this can't be the first letter. Right. Right. And so he begins to address this thing. And background commentary, they begin to teach us that, what, that because he started to address it, the church started to come against him. And when you actually read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 1, you'll see Paul say some stuff like that you guys were arrogant not to deal with this. Right? right? And, and what he's saying by that is instead of dealing with the problem that he, as the leader, was telling them to deal with, they actually came against him. They actually started to challenge him. They actually started to name call him. They actually started to, to make him feel like, you know how it is. You know how it is. Right? The one who refuses to repent is protected, but the leader who is calling for repentance is condemned. That's the culture we live in. I'm trying to tell you. you Watch my live I did last week. Uh, the Corinthian church and today's church is, 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 is a, a, an astonishing parallel. But instead of accepting what was going on, they chose to re- protect the unrepentant person. And they chose to then attack Paul, attack his character, and, and attack his leadership. Right? And that was crazy to me. Because he planted the church. He stayed in the church. He loved the church. Now he has all of these problems because he was doing what he was supposed to do as a leader, which was spur them on to righteousness. But that's another message. We'll talk about it another day. Right? But 2 Corinthians is this seven-year rocky relationship that Paul had. Seven years of being rocky. Right? And this abuse of the members towards the leader. And that's another message for another day. But all of these issues started because Paul wanted to lead according to the instructions that he was called to lead by, which is the word of God. And so from there we enter into 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians begins to teach us how this beast evolved, right? It begins to teach us, for instance, that, um, that after uh, he addressed this issue in 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians, he did took another trip to him. Because it got so hot, Paul was like, Yo, I'm I'm going I'm going to come visit y'all. And he talks about this, right? Paul's like, and it's so crazy, they didn't even think Paul was against the low key. And so they had told Paul, these the, the super apostles, they were like, yeah, he talked to us, but when he comes, he comes with weakness. They're like, yeah, he right hard. You know that person that's all tough in the back When I see them, I'm going to let them know they better not ever say nothing to me again. And then when you see them, you'll be like, hey, brother, I just wanted to let me just address, talk to you. Really. But you got a moment to talk with me, man to man. You know, all respect. <laughs> you know, because you be like, hey, yo. they be like, hey, yo, what? you be like, hey, brother, listen. I just wanted to. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, 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 they stream back real quick. But Paul visits the Corinthians. But this visit was so bad, so painful, so hurtful. And he tells us this in 2 Corinthians 2 1. He says this In fact, I made up in my mind about this, that I would not come to you on another painful visit. He says, he says He's writing to the Nile in 2 Corinthians, which I'm going to show you is really 4 Corinthians. And he's telling you, I promise not to come to you on another painful visit. In other words, it got bad and it's still bad but I'm not coming down there again because it's so painful when I come and visit you he says this verse 3 and so I write this thing so that when I come that when I came I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy because I'm confident about all of you that my joy will be your joys Joys. for I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart not to cause you pain but that you should know the abundant love that I have for you okay did you see it did you miss it 1 Corinthians, which is really the second letter to the Corinthian church. Then Paul takes a visit to them. The visit is so painful, Paul then writes to them a letter that he's telling us about in 2 Corinthians. Which tells me what? That there was another letter before the letter we're actually reading. Right now. Okay? So Paul is telling them, I didn't want to come to you again. He said, so instead I wrote to you with many tears and extremely troubled. And so he's telling them, I wrote something else to you. Instead of coming, I wrote to you. And so the reality is, 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is really 4 Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians begins to tell us this onslaught of everything that actually happened in in, in this third visit. Right? And so 4 Corinthians teaches us (laughs) on the tensions that existed. And I say that in the past because then we actually learn throughout this vision. I know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to give you a whole bunch of background context right now to make everything make sense, so I'm hitting y'all over. Right. But 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 what we actually learn is that as Paul is writing this letter, he's now ready to come to them. And the reason he's now ready to come to them is because now we learn in 2 Corinthians 7 that the church that refused to repent six years ago finally got it together, finally realized that it was jacked up, finally realized that it was abusing a leader, and they finally repented. And so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7 and 5, in fact, When when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest. He said, instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Paul sent Titus to go down there because he wasn't going to go. And so Paul delivered this third letter to the Corinthian church. Now, Titus has brought back the report from the Corinthian church against what Paul said in this third letter. And and so Titus comes, and Paul says that Titus comforts him. He says and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. Who was the you? The Corinthian church. Well, what was the comfort that that Titus received? Here it is. He told me about your deep longing, your sorrow, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I grieved you with my letter. I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while, I now rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. And so Paul says, this situation, which all got so crazy, that I was in Macedonia trouble, thinking about it. I'm trying to deal with all of the beef that's happening out here, but I'm also stressing over the the things that's going on between you, the church that I love, right? And then he says, but then Titus came to me in that moment, and Titus comes to me in that moment, and he shares some news that turned my, my, my grief into joy. And what was the news? That you do love me, that you do have a zeal for me, and that you've repented of the sin that you have refused to repent of for all of these years. See how context matters? Because we read that passage and we just apply it to every People don't realize that everything Paul is saying is about a relationship that he has with a toxic church. And as a leader, how that relationship has hurt him. How that relationship has, that's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's talking about, I suffer for you. I'm beaten, but I'm not broken down. Right? he says all this, he said, death is working in me, that life ain't working you. We look at that and we do quote, though, and that has other implications. But we miss that what Paul is actually saying is, as a leader, while you're attacking me, I'm dying for you to live. And instead of appreciating the fact that I'm giving everything about me for you, you want to come against me.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm not trying to stand up for any abusive leaders. I'm just standing up for the good ones.
1: <laughs>
0: and so Paul goes into this whole thing. Then he jumps into, into, into five. And he starts talking about, listen, and listen if, 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 if my message is veiled, it's veiled by those who are perishing. Right now he's talking about these people that was coming against him and they're coming against his message. And he's saying, listen, it's because they're perishing in the first place. That's why they don't want to receive what I'm saying. And then he goes into this, and he just, just got to follow. Next time you read 2 Corinthians, now you're going to be like, oh, that makes sense now. I was trying to understand what he was talking about. <laughs> right? Let me say this. A good leader grieves over the unrepentant. This is a side note. And I wanted to say that because the grief is often called judgment by the world. The push is often called judgment by the world but Paul is saying everything that I pushed you to do was not because I was judging you but I was grieving over your unrepentant the discipline, the way I dealt with you was because I was grieving over your unrepentant nature and I knew that your unrepentance was going to lead to loss and I I did not want you to lose anything and so I pressed into you as a leader and it grieved me to see you not receive it he wasn't judging anybody he was being a good leader and this is why I'm all over this whole hyperchurch hurt culture. Notice I said hyper. Because I'm not asking that church hurt don't exist. But the hyperchurch culture you should be mad at. And why should you be mad at it? Because they're hijacking your pain. You got people that don't want to be held accountable hijacking your real hurt and calling it church hurt. And, and now your hurt is being minimized by people that just don't want to be. You got people that have been really abused and hurt by the church. Then you got people that just don't want to be held accountable hijacking your abuse. Hijacking your pain and hitching themselves to you. That's the hyper church culture. It's ridiculous. But accountability is not judgment. Wow.
1: Come on, You right. oh, wow. right.
0: think I got cancelled? Yeah. <laughs> another week, another cancel. <laughs> but holding you accountable is not leadership abuse is leadership. Church discipline is not leadership abuse, it's the biblical mandate of how we're supposed to deal with somebody who refuses to turn from the sin. It's not judgment. Paul says, matter of fact, he says, listen, the whole. Okay. I'm at 30. All right, let's keep going. Read (laughs) the word. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 2 about the person that they had to do discipline on finally that had refused to repent. He says, now that he has repented, his punishment is just. Now restore him and affirm him in the love that you have for him. In other words, Paul says, oh, he repented? Bet. Then return them to the flock. Return them to the fold. Don't no longer discipline. No longer place punishment on them. The whole purpose of discipline was for repentance. Once they repent, stop being a jerk. Right. <laughs> right.
1: right. Once they repent,
0: receive them back. Right. It worked. It's over. Affirm them in the love that you have for them. Because discipline is about repentance and not about judgment. Right. Right. Now why did I say all that? Some people be like, oh, he just wanted to repent. He wanted to talk about that. No, I didn't. I said all that because of one simple fact. Paul birthed that church. And sometimes even the people we expect to see us don't. All of that that Paul was dealing with was because the people that he would think would know him, understand him, love him did not see him. And they did not see him for things that had nothing to do with them but everything to do with themselves. And we understand how painful that is. Because listen, it's one thing when the stranger out there talk about you. It's one thing when the person that don't matter to you don't see you. But it's another thing when the person that you love, the person that's closest to you, the person that you think of all would at least understand you misses you too. That creates a deeper level. Uh, now you really start that. listen. Well, if they supposed to know me best and they don't see me, maybe I am really am this. Or maybe I'm really not that. And you begin to struggle when the people closest to you don't even see you. It's like, I expect people on Facebook not to understand me. I do it on purpose. I don't care about them. Don't know them. It's Facebook. <laughs> it's Facebook. Who cares? Capture me don't like me talk about me. But it's another thing one of y'all uh-huh. say something about me.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Now I'm at the house like, damn what? what? Uh-huh. I don't want to the quicksand with them. Not just mom, quicksand. You got out. I'm still stuck dealing with your stuff. I done pulled you off the quicksand and then you left me. <laughs> I'm like, hey, your demon's over here attacking me now. You come back to wait for me? <laughs>
1: you
0: know what I'm saying? So like, I'm like, hold on, y'all, y- y'all know me. Y'all call me. Y'all all up in my house. Y'all know what type of person I am. So when I hear from somebody, I'm like, I'm done with ministry. I'm <laughs> treated like this at the factory.
1: <laughs> I'm, just,
0: I'm just giving you a real... I, none of y'all have done it. Don't people are gone, praise God.
1: But you
0: <laughs> got a good bunch right here. <laughs> but Paul expected them to see him, and they missed him. And it grieved him. It was painful, regardless, and, and what questions what, what they had, regardless what doubts they had, regardless what names they called him, Paul was still ever to conclude in Second Corinthians five eleven. For what is plain, we are plain to God, and we hope that it will be plain to you. Paul says, through all of that, it never shook his identity. Through all of that, it never caused him to conform to what somebody wanted him to be. Right? Instead, he stayed consistent with who he is. And he said, listen, who I am is playing to God. You've got to work out if you're going to see me that way. But I'm going to keep doing me. But we have to learn to have this mindset. Because the reality is sometimes people let us down. And this is why we have to become confident in the person God fashioned us to be in our mother's womb. Right. This is the confidence that I hope we will all receive as we keep going through this. Why? Because confidence in who you are, regardless of how others see you, never allow it to cause you to question who you are. Be confident in who you are, regardless of how others see you, never allow it to cause you to question who you are. But where does that confidence stem from? Well, again, it's God. Right? But not a church figured it out. They got it together a little bit. But then he had to start dealing with this stuff from these super apostles. So now the church is like, all right, Paul, we, we realized we was wrong. But you know we got these other apostles over here, and they super apostles. And they saying you ain't, you ain't no real apostle. You weak. You can't speak. And so now Paul is dealing with somebody else who's now starting to question his actual calling, his actual purpose. And I told you guys a message, too, that identity and purpose are paired together. And so when your purpose gets challenged, so does your identity and so now they're challenging Paul's actual purpose he ain't no real apostle and so now Paul like now I gotta explain to you that I'm an actual real apostle right these were the struggles that he had to deal with people were boasting in their flesh boasting in their accomplishments and because Paul was humble they were calling him not a genuine apostle so they viewed themselves as superior to Paul because they had this outward prestige and they would say things like this in 2 Corinthians 10 10 his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak, and his public speaking amongst to nothing. They said he can't preach like me. He here. He, he ain't even got no eloquent speech. He out here using basic ABC block words.
1: I'm out here hitting you
0: with Greek and Hebrew. I'm using the big words. I'm using seven syllable words. I got the dictionary out before I met my I, phone. I, I hit y'all with hmm. He out here talking about Jesus loves you. I'm, not, I'm trying to tell you Jesus is the the uh the epicenter of the something, something crazy and you sitting there trying to take notes you don't even know what they're talking
1: about anyway. <laughs> Brother
0: <polite>. And so <laughs> you caught that <laughs> And so they like, he's weak and he's public speaking amongst nothing. In other words, because Paul had this humility, humility, because he boasted in being weak, they used it against him. And because he didn't talk the way that they wanted to talk, they used it against him. But Paul was not impressed because of them either. And Paul did not allow their outward boasting in their flesh to cause him to challenge who he was either. And the reason he was still confident even when other people that were supposed to be apostles challenged his apostleship is because when you get approved by God who cares if they don't? If you don't get approved by men? Right. Paul was approved by God. Yes sir. Listen, Paul that dude low key. Paul like, well did Jesus come back to show you him? Because he did for me. Did you go spend some time in the desert and learn theology straight from the mouth of Jesus? Because he did for me. Right, Paul's like, you can't tell me who I am. You can't approve me because Jesus already told me you will be my messenger, and you I have set you apart to go and take my message to the Gentiles and to Israel, to the kings. Right, so Paul is like, hey, uh, you can say I'm not an apostle, but God told me I am. By the way, I'm not quite sure he told you you were. You know how I know? Because when you are, when it's about anointing and oil, you don't need to overwork. See, a person that's always boasting in themselves, they're trying to convince you and themselves.
1: Because,
0: see, when you don't have the anointing, you got to work hard. Come on. Wow. But when you have the anointing, you ain't got to work that hard. You just got to do what God told you to do. You be like, I know I ain't used a lot of big words, but a thousand people got saved. Right. Don't even understand how. You be like, I don't even know what I just said. I got down, I was like... Like Preach a good message. Hey Amen. You know, 50 people got saved. Oh, okay. How? Anointing. But when you don't have anointing, you have to depend on your flesh. You have to convince people that you are somebody that you're not. And so they're boasting in their flesh. Paul's boasting in his weakness. They're saying he's not a real apostle because he's boasting in his weakness. They're saying we're the real apostles because we're boasting in our strength. We're boasting in our speech. And Paul is sitting back like, yeah, hey, that's because you're not a real apostle.
1: That's
0: I'm, I'm me. Paul, like, I don't got to do nothing to convince you. Matter of fact, Paul, like, listen, it's your loss if you don't see me as an apostle. Right? Paul says, what is plain, I am plain to God. In other words, what you think of me, what you think I am, doesn't really matter because God has already told me who I am. Right? Right? Check out, check out, check out how deep Paul is with this. 2 Corinthians 11 5, 8. The reason I'm going all over the place is because I remember I told you Paul's not this. 2 Corinthians 11 5, and 8. Paul said, I don't care. He said this. Now consider myself in no way inferior to these super apostles. He says, Listen, I know I boast of my weakness. I know I don't talk as good as them. But guess what? I still don't see myself in any way inferior to these. By the way, can we get there too? It doesn't matter what you may lack in the flesh. Don't start seeing yourself as inferior to somebody who may not. Don't start questioning what God is doing in your life because you don't have all the accolades that the other person has. Don't start questioning if God can use you because you don't have all the degrees that the other person has. Right? Listen, it doesn't matter. You are not inferior to anybody. Mm -hmm. Because God gave you your work. God gave you your value. God gave you your significance. God gave you your purpose. And therefore, you're good. Amen. Amen. But the world wants you to think, I'm better than you. Oh, you got you got one letter after your name? I got
1: two.
0: <laughs> right? And I cool in the corporate world. They're going to probably hire them. But don't let that jack you up. You're not less than them. Right? right? And so Paul is like, okay, cool. They talk good. Huh. He said, I don't consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. He said this, even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Right. Why? Could God taught me? That's it. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by being humble? you They're saying I'm weak. I'm, I'm wrong for coming to you humble? He says, I, did I commit a sin by being by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? I humble myself that you would be exalted. Because I preach the gospel of God to you at free of charge. Now, don't get into don't Don't make me go there again. All right? But you see the confidence? Many of us would have questioned ourselves because we're already thinking they look better than me. We're already thinking they're smarter than me. And then it's true. You like, shoot, man, maybe I maybe I shouldn't. Or maybe they. But Paul teaches us that we can still be confident in who we are, even if others do things better than us. Paul, like, okay, you speak better than me. That don't make me less than you. And I just love that mindset. Because it's true. Right? you are not less than the next person because they excel in areas that you don't. But I, mean, I already told you, when you're not called, you got to be extra. So, we can just skip that part. <laughs> I'll say it again. When you're not called, you got to be extra. <laughs> See, Paul called these super apostles false apostles. In 2 Corinthians 11, he said, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And so they had to boast in their work because they had no anointing. But Paul had hey, it. So he opens up this letter in 2 Corinthians 1. I'm they like, yeah, we back to one. Yeah, I told you. Paul, I'm, just, I'm following
1: his thoughts.
0: <laughs> so, so he opens up this letter in 2 Corinthians 1 and he says this Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by who? God's will. That ain't Oh, one one. It ain't up there. Wrong verse. 2 Corinthians 1, 1. <laughs> Right. Second Corinthians 1 1. What'd that one say, though? That might be good, too. Go do it. <laughs> All right, First Corinthians 2 Corinthians 1 1. The very first verse of the letter Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. And so he opens up this letter addressing these false apostles. He opens up this letter letting people know, hey, Paul, an apostle, by the way, God's will. I know you got these other guys over there. God's will. Their will. We're not the same. Right? He stresses this. When others questioned him, we went back to, he's by God's will. When others couldn't see him, we went back to what is what I am is playing to God. And I'm going to keep sounding like a broken record, but I'm stressing this. Because how God sees us and who God says that we are matters over all other opinions. Right. And why should it? Because God's opinion is weightier. Right. And why? Well, outside of him being God, is because the world can only, yeah, I don't know. The last two weeks, I'm like, they put a heater up (laughs) here. What makes God's opinion wait? Well, the world judges according to the flesh, and God doesn't. The reason we put God's opinion over the world is because the world is only seeing with the flesh, and God is not. Right? So these super apostles, they highlighted their flesh. because they know what they need to do. We understand it. We're not foolish. We're foolish if we don't think this. The world cares about the flesh. So if you want to be accepted by the world, you got to just start doing more stuff that will get you accepted. Right. Right? And they knew this. These super apostles knew this. So they gave the Corinthians everything they wanted so that they, so that they would be accepted. But Paul is like, that's according to the flesh. And if we always are looking for others' opinions and others' validation of us, we're going to struggle because you're going to always find yourself trying to do the next thing to be seen. Always got to do something. Always got to keep a, a lifestyle pick up there. Always got to top the next video. I talked about this last week. Instagram two weeks ago. Instagram algorithms. Whatever people say they like, those the videos and pictures you better keep posting. If not, your lights go down and then because you attach your worth to likes and hearts, now your worth and value starts to decrease. I get it when you're talking about corporations trying to make sure they get business, but that don't work for your life. Because you're always trying to do something. You're always trying to top the next picture. You know? You should just take pictures in front of your house. Now you're trying to hang off a roof somewhere because they're like, oh, that's dope. <laughs> now you're on the beach hanging and swim, but you like, just get me deep enough so that it look like I'm swimming. Because they like those type of pictures. Listen, one thing, anyway, I'm done with that. The world will never see you the way God sees you because the world judges the outward appearance. And this is why the Instagram model who has nothing going for her goes gets more dates in her DMs than you do. You got a career, money, God, but because you want to put seven filters on you and take half your clothes off, you don't get nobody in your DMs, Right? Because the world don't care about all that other stuff. They like, look good, I won't go out
1: with
0: you. Right? This is why my wife and I, we laugh when people do their a couple goals. And me and my wife laugh personally because I be knowing these people that be posting these couple goals.
1: <laughs>
0: that's not why I be laughing. Y'all laughing. Y'all, y'all, y'all that's not the punch. <laughs> we be laughing because I be like, you don't even know these people that you got couple goals after. Right. But you got people right next to you that's walking in healthy relationships and marriages, and you don't do you don't say nothing about them. You call them with all your problems, but that's your couple goals. <laughs> it's weird to me. I literally I be looking at my wife, I'm like, this is funny. Who are they? I told my daughter that. I said, me and my daughter got a whole argument. You know, my 15 year old, she's weird, she's a teenager. I
1: said,
0: I love how on my anniversary, you posted some other people's wedding and never put us and said happy anniversary to my parents. She's like, who do that? Like, it's an anniversary, does it even matter? And I'm like, well, who are they? they like, they're just a famous couple that have been together uh, for a long time and finally they got married. So we are in that heat late? <laughs> My God, if you The, the kitchen conversation with my 50-year-old is hilarious. <laughs> but the point is, it's because people look at outward appearance. Let me hurry. Let me get out of here. It didn't matter the part that he planted the church, laid the church, suffered the sacrifice with the church. It didn't matter that they knew his testimony, they heard his conversion. But all that mattered is that they were looking at these super apostles because they boasted in the flesh. They only seen according to the flesh. They said he didn't speak with. Hey, and here's something that's interesting. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. through five. Paul says this. When I when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God, I did not come with brilliance of speech and wisdom. I decided to not know nothing except Jesus. Did you see that? Paul was not inadequate or unable to have that type of language. He chose not to use that type of language because he did not want people to focus on him. He wanted people to focus on Christ. And so they're rejecting his apostleship because he's actually trying to do what's best for them while flocking and following after people who only want them to focus on the man. They're not pointing you to Jesus. They're pointing you to them. They're pointing you to their acclimates. They're pointing you to their accomplishments. Paul is like, I'm not talking about none of that. I chose not to use eloquence of speech with you because I want you to know nothing but Christ crucified. He said, I came to you in weakness. I'm not weak. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear and much trembling. He said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit's power. Listen, you can use all the big words you want. If there is no power, nor anointing behind it, nothing happens. And so Paul is like, I don't want to intelligent you. That ain't a word, but rock. Right. I don't know what I was trying to say here. Holy Spirit, I get some eloquent speech right now. Uh, Paul's like, I don't, I'm not trying to, whatever, persuade you with intelligence. He said, that what I need more than big words is the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Right. The demonstration of the power of God. Listen, I can't speak y'all into the kingdom. Yeah. The darkness in this world is going to take a lot more than great preachers. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's going to take anointed preachers. Oh, yes. And so Paul is like, I chose to be anointed. So that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Yeah. Paul was like, I'm so confident in who I am, I'm going to lower myself.
1: Come on. Come
0: on. I, don't need I don't need you to see me in that light. I need you to see me as weak. Because when you see me as weak, you see the power of God working in me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But that's their identity crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, the people that's overworking? They got their own identity crisis. Yeah. Right? They were overworking to be seen and affirmed. Right? Right? Because they don't think they matter. But when you know who you are, you don't have to do that.
1: That's good.
0: These men weren't really better than Paul. They just work harder and then they pointed to their work. Yeah. Paul was humble. He wasn't trying to get honor. He only wanted Christ exhausted. By the way, I'll prove to you that Paul wasn't weak. Because see, Paul had to do this thing, he didn't really want to do it. He was like, listen, I know I'm being foolish right now, I really don't want to boast. But listen, let me just do it. Not for the sake of me, but for the sake of you. Because you need to realize, no, these people are false. They're fake. So since they're telling you wrongly, hold up. i got you five times. Second Corinthians 11 24 and 30. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one of the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stone. And three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in an open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers in rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from home people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the city. I was speaking real fast, it's right there. And dangers among false brothers. For your hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, without food, cold, without clothing. not to mention every other thing. There is the daily pressure of me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. If that's weakness, I'm confused. That brother said, I've been whipped 40 lashes minus one. He said, I've been at the sea, hungry, shipwrecked. He said, I've been stoned. The brother was stoned in Acts 15, 16, outside the city. That's when they think he died. <laughs> right? And I'm weak because I keep getting back up, still pressing with the message of Christ. I'm weak. These jokers won't go through mud, but they strong. <laughs> I'm going through it all. I'm going through. I, was, man, I, oh, I, got to go. I forgot who I was talking to about this. But I was talking, oh, uh, I'll go there. Uh, Okay, real quick. Give me me five. All right, check it out. I was having a conversation with an individual, very nice young individual, possible realities of life. We were in agreement. And I said, it's really interesting to me as a church planner why I keep seeing so many church plants leaving. And they're being called to an area and then they leave that area and they're, they're called to plant a church and then they leave and go take over the church. And then they call to an area, and then a call comes with a better check, and they go, okay, you're with me? I said, and it's prevalent primarily, I'm sorry, let me anyway, with, uh, with my Anglo brothers and sisters. I know this because Christian Missionary Alliance is primarily white. And I said, I'm seeing it all the time. I'm in the emails. I'm like, they just said they was called to that church two weeks ago. What do you mean that God called them? You ain't, ain't did nothing. I know there's seasons in life, but you ain't even, like, you ain't even moved yet. But you call? And so I said, it seems like, no, it's really not about calling. It's about opportunity. What's the better opportunity? Let me give you guys something really quick. It's just for reality. We're not here that we didn't have a better opportunity. The moment we decided to plant this church, I had multiple churches call me about taking over their church. I said, no, oh, God called us to plant church. I could have went the easy route, took the salary. Trust me, I raised my funds every month. I could have took the easy route, <laughs> took the salary. But I was like, no, it's about calling, not about opportunity. I'm going with what God called me to do. I was like, but it's interesting to me that I don't see that happening in those spaces the way. So I was talking to my homie about it, and what we said was this. It's a book called Jesus and John Wayne. And what they said was this. The reason you see a lot of urban plants, we just stick with it. A lot of urban churches, we just rock out with it. And it's not that we don't do it, but the, the, the higher percentage. It's because we've been going through stuff for our whole life. We was born in trauma. We was born in the mud. We just figured out how to make it through struggle forever. But if you never had to go through nothing in life, all of a sudden your church starting to split on you because you talked a little bit about justice. Now you like, shoot, I don't know what to do. I'm going to just jump ship and go somewhere else, right? I ain't never had to go through nothing in life. And so the moment opposition hit when you didn't have to go through something, you run from it. But when you've been in it your whole life, you like, what else is new? I was born in this. Right? And so when you go when you when, when you go through things, you're able to be confident and remain a lot longer. Right? And so Paul is like, I'm not weak. I done went through do a whole lot of stuff to show you that I'm not weak. <coughs> and I ain't went nowhere, regular calls, not COVID. <laughs> Very clear.
1: <laughs> she will dehydrate, maybe. <laughs> But
0: notice that Paul did not conform to people who got a jacked up perception of his life. He didn't then didn't, he didn't, didn't try to use eloquent speech because they said that that's what they wanted. He didn't try to start boasting in himself because they said that's what they wanted. No, Paul stayed the course because he was confident in who he was. The world got a jacked up perception, y'all. And if we keep conforming to them to be seen, we're going to be jacked up too. Somebody told me I was domesticated. I said, why? They're like, if you do stuff in your house, like laundry, i like, that's wrong? And I want you to tell me who I am, I'm cool. <laughs> that's why you say. In the church, there is this anti-intellectual movement. And so if you go to college, you're less spiritual, spiritually connected to God. But so going to college means i on.
1: okay.
0: You get my point. Paul's identity and purpose was being challenged because people had a bad perception of what an apostle was to begin with. And people don't understand who you are. People don't understand what God is doing in your life. And so they, they perceive it wrong. They think you're humble that you being humble is weakness. They think that you setting up boundaries to protect your sexual purity is weakness. They don't see that that's strength.
1: Come
0: on. They don't understand they're the weak ones. The weak person gives in. The weak person takes the call and drives over there. The strong person just wrestles with that all night. Like oh <laughs> <laughs> Told you, Jesus. <laughs> And I'm not calling you weak if that's you. I'm just saying you was in that moment. <laughs> I love you. Don't catch me. Alright, I gotta I gotta go, I gotta go. go. Alright, these false apostles, they weren't real apostles, they simple, but Paul said, well, what is plain to me is plain to God. Okay. Although people were regarding the flesh, Paul's confidence stopped him from lowering himself to an acceptable standard in order to be saved. You hear me? Paul didn't lower himself to the acceptable standard in order to be saved. Right to begin knowing yourself, it keeps you from com- competing with people who don't know you anyway. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians two twelve. He says, "For we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who can manage themselves, but are measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves. They lack understanding." Paul says, "I don't, I don't, I don't compare myself to people who are not on my level."
1: <laughs>
0: he said, "I'm an apostle. They're not. I'm not. You want, you want me to lower myself to them? Why? They're not on my level." In other words, Paul's like, God put me here, they're putting themselves there. We're not the same. Why am, I, why, am I, why, are we, why am I having a... No, we're not the same person. I know who I am. They don't know who, We're not the same person. Why am I trying to con- convince them of who I... We're not the same. Paul was a jerk. I like it. Clearly. <laughs> Right? He didn't try to be seen, 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. 12. But I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to regard us as equals when they boast about themselves. Paul said, I'm going to keep doing me because they think we're equal. And I'm not going to give them the opportunity to be my equal when they boast about themselves. Paul said, you notice he says, they regard themselves as our equals. They're not. But he said, but if I lower my standards and I start operating in the flesh, now we get a chance to be equal. They talk good, I talk good. They're strong, I'm strong. Now you're looking at them like, oh, look at that. But if I continue to do me, continue to be weak, continue to be humble, the demonstration of God's power works through me, and it becomes very clear, we're not the same. All right, I'm gone. That's, I think that's the right one to time. When you walk out the purpose to fit in and be seen by culture, you sacrifice your success. Because your success is connected to your purpose. You're trying to be a boss and the world saying, because the world says that having a job is degrading, why are they hiring people? You ever think about that? I got you know, i mean I, I be messing, i be, You ever think about that? The whole world. Be a boss, be a boss, be a boss. They make you seem like if you punch a clock, something wrong with you. Meanwhile, they start a job to hire, and they start hiring because they need workers. Right. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you, this stuff, nothing makes, if you just think logically, you start to realize how foolish the thoughts of the world is. Yeah, right. You shouldn't punch nobody's clock, but you need me to punch yours so you gonna go out of business trust me I know what it's like to be the boss and the employee you need to work especially once they married my wife I remember she hit me up like uh brother you got to come home like you been going all day you gonna come home we got kids you got me up there like oh I probably should get some help huh Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: alright you trying to start a business. You don't even thrive in productivity and planning. You are a worker. Work. Bosses need need to thrive in those areas of administration. If you don't like none of that, you're a worker. Go work. It's okay. There is glory in being a worker. Right? Anyway, that's the thing. Okay, so God's approval is different. It's authentic and you don't have to wake up every day trying to be seen by God. He sees you for what you are, for what it is is plain to him. Here, the last point. Despite criticism, Paul never stopped being confident in who he was because he learned to value God's acceptance over man's. And so he says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 17, and 18. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it, is not, uh, uh, for it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord approves. This is the true identity question that I've been addressing in each message. Right? How does God see People got to shrink up. I mean, people got to catch up. You don't have to shrink back. Right? Be like Paul, who said, I know who I am. I pray that you will come to know me. But I'm not changing. I'm not conforming so that you would accept me. And until, but until we learn and spend some time with learning who this person is that God put together in our womb, we're going to always look to the world to validate us. We're going to always be able to be told who we are by the world. But the moment we learn to embrace who we are because God said who we are, the moment we sit with God, we need to learn how to sit with God. It's okay, unplug from the matrix, along off of social media. Don't go to work, Just go to work, of course. But sit with God. Let's go, boss. Sit with God. <laughs> Sit with God and let Him speak to you.
1: Right. Paul said, "I
0: didn't even go up to Jerusalem right away. He said I first went to Damascus, then I went to uh, what was it, Arabia or something, Arabia or something. Yeah. And I got mean, get yeah. And he said and I just was there for two and a half years or something. He said then I went up to Jerusalem. Right. So guess what? When he went up there to the other apostles and they had to check him too, like what well, I mean? He said because he had spent so much time with Jesus, they saw him, and they confirmed too that he was an apostle." Right? Paul says, listen, I sat with Jesus. I spent some time learning who I was, being poured into who I was. Then I went out into the world. Because now I am confident in myself. I don't, if he would have went up there right away, he would have been discouraged because Peter and all of them would have been like, no, we don't know you guys. Didn't you just try to arrest us? You just you killed our homie Stephen. Remember he was there with you. They're like, no, bro, we cool, we don't mess with you. Right? So he would have been automatically discredited, maybe even thought he heard it wrong. And so he said, I ain't going around nobody. I'm going to get poured into Jesus, and then I'm going to go up to them, and then the demonstration of God's power will be in my life. Be who who God called you and created you to be, and learn to be content with being seen by God until others learn to appreciate your authentic self. Be who God called you to be, and learn to be content with being seen by God until others learn to appreciate your authentic self. So this means you must find the confidence and that's only going to come from spending time with God. Now don't catch me. But it's therapy on Jesus, right? But we need to flip that. It's Jesus in therapy. Because before you go to your therapist, you need to go to Jesus. You need to sit with Jesus. You need to let Jesus pour into your life and tell you everything that you are and everything that he created you to be. Then you go to your therapist to help you unpack all those barriers and traumas you got in your life that's stopping you from seeing everything that God told you. God told me I'm this, but I'm not seeing it that way. Now your therapist can help you work through all of that stuff so you can see who God calls you to be. But you got to start with God. Because if you don't start with God, then you look to your therapist to give you your identity. And now you depend on your therapist for who you are. But what happens if they get a new job? Who do I stay? I don't know. But you, we, the point is we got to sit with Jesus. we got to learn who, who he says we are. Because if we don't, we'll forever be asking the question, who am I? And why do I exist?
1: Was that good? Did that helped me, you guys?